0: If you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter five, if you don't have a copy, there should be some under the seat in front of you. And we're going to, if you're looking in those Bibles, we are on page eight hundred and sixty-one. Luke chapter five, starting in verse thirty-three. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable, No one tears a piece from the new garment and puts puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the peace from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. That's great. Dearly Father, thank you for the state that you've blessed us with. Thank you for the opportunity to be with other brothers and sisters and to glorify and worship your name in song and in spirit and in truth like we talked about in Sunday school this morning. But I just pray that you would speak through Pastor Andrew this morning. You would open our hearts, help us to be attentive, to listen. I pray that you would give us understanding through your word spoken this morning, that we might apply, it, that we might grow closer to you in your name.
1: Well, if you've been with us for the past few weeks or joining us online, you know we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and you know that uh, Jesus is gaining in Uh, notoriety. Jesus has been teaching with authority and that stories of his miraculous healings are spreading around the region, that multitudes and multitudes, crowds of people, are finding the Lord Jesus Christ and following him. As Jesus' reputation is growing and as he teaches, it becomes more and more obvious that what Jesus is teaching and what the Pharisees are teaching don't line up. That there is a disparity or a discrepancy between those two teachings. So Jesus is <coughs> rocking the boat. Uh, Jesus is going against the status quo. We especially saw that last week in the fact that he's he's at a party with Levi, who is a tax collector. And as the Pharisees put it, those other sinners. And so Jesus is hanging out with crowds that the Pharisees do not believe one who is holy should be hanging out with. And so this this conversation that Troy just read picks up on the heels of that that party uh, that Jesus was just at that feast. And this conversation, verses 33 through 39, is very 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 important in understanding why Jesus does things differently and uh, what his presence means and how Jesus has come to be an agent of change and Jesus has come to bring the new and so the title of this morning's message is New Versus Old, or you could say out of the old and in with the new. There's a crossroads, there's a collision of world views, there's two incompatible paradigms uh, coming head to head in this text. And it all begins with that question. Verse 33, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Be yours, Jesus, they eat and drink. And so fasting uh, in in Judaism is extremely important, highly regarded as an act of worship. Very interestingly, when it comes to the Old Testament, uh, fasting is commanded in only one place uh, for the entire nation, and that is on the Day of Atonement. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the entire nation of Israel was required to fast a special day where the high priest would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the whole uh, nation of God so that essentially God would allow them to exist another year. Everyone, the entire nation, would fast to show how brokenhearted they are about their part in the national sin pro- problem. So, so fasting, much like baptism today, uh, was meant to be an outward sign or a physical representation of the inward broken heart. Your sorrow over sin, your brokenness in the sin that is within you and the world all around us. Fasting was also on this day meant to be a sign of longing for the Messiah who would come and carry those sins away. So that one day of the year, the the Day of Atonement, the whole nation fasted as a sign of mourning over their sin, but also longing for their Messiah. So the Pharisees decide that's not good enough. (coughs) The Pharisees know this husband well, they they, they know extremely well, and they understand the Day of Atonement is that day where uh, all are required to fast, but they decide that they're going to fast not once a year, but twice a week. And they're going to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And when they fast, they're going to make sure they're gloomy, and put ashes on their face, and, and maybe, or on the forehead, and maybe even wear sackcloth. So with that in mind, hear that question again. The disciples of John fast often and often offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Can, can you hear that they ask that question how something in their minds doesn't line up with what Jesus is doing? Can you hear that as, 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 you, as they ask that question? Did, do you see the beginning of the collision of worldviews here? Jesus, if I can put it in modern language, Jesus... You you say that your mission is repentance, right? He just said that in verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, the sinners to repentance. So that's Jesus' mission, that's his purpose, that's the reason. He took on flesh. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's preaching, repent. Repent. Why? The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. And yet, yet, Jesus, instead of fasting and praying, which are the accepted signs of repentance, you're eating and drinking. Right? It it, it doesn't line up for them, It's it's a big problem for them. That you would rather eat and drink than, than fast and pray, and they will say the real religion fast twice a week with with ashes and gloomy faces. Where is the mourning over sin? Where where are the ashes? Your your disciples don't seem to take sin very seriously. They're partying. They should be mourning. They're feasting. They should be fasting. And so Jesus replies, essentially saying in in verse 34, that now is not the time for fasting, now is not the time for mourning, now is the time for a party, now is the time for celebration. Notice how he says in verse 34, Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? That's not hard to picture. Weddings are for joy and celebration and excitement and and rejoicing uh, in the joy of the bride and the groom. Wedding guests don't fast during the wedding. Maybe you fast a day before the wedding because you're excited about the food and you want to gorge yourself or something. But wedding guests don't fast at the wedding itself. Wedding guests don't show up with gloomy faces. A wedding guest show up joyful and excited. So Jesus is saying, weddings and fasting don't mix. And Jesus' point by that is saying that he is the bridegroom. Right, What it says that in verse 34, Can you make wedding guests, those are the disciples, fast while the bridegroom, that's Jesus, he is with them. And so now is the time for joy, now is the time for excitement. In other words, Jesus is saying, you've been fasting and praying and mourning and longing for the Messiah and for rescue from sin for hundreds and hundreds of years. That time has come. I'm what you've been fasting for. I'm what you have been praying for. I am the heavenly bridegroom. I I am here to usher in the kingdom, that the time of preparation is over. Now is not the time to mourn and pray in repentance and longing. Now is the time to celebrate. Now is the time for joy, because the Savior from sin is here. So you see that collision of worldviews, the old versus the new? Jesus is saying that he's come to give us a whole new picture of what God is doing. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship through Jesus Christ. It's like a marriage. Loving and growing an intimate relationship where we fall in love with our Savior, our Messiah and walk and talk with him the rest of our days. Now, obviously, Jesus is not anti-fasting. We know back in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus himself fasted for 40 days and nights during that temptation. And the time will come when fasting is appropriate. Jesus says that, verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom, that is himself, is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. So Jesus there is warning very, very early in his ministry that there's a day coming when he will be taken, most likely an allusion to uh, his crucifixion by wicked hands. And that at that time, at that day, there will be much mourning. But not now. Now is the time to celebrate. Because all over Galilee, men and women are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And many have been healed from leprosy and par- paralyzed, paralysis and, and other diseases. Some of them were married to money and are now married to Christ. Some were married to their jobs like, like Simon Peter but now are married to Christ. And Jesus has delivered them. And so now is a time for celebrating his love, his mercy, his kindness, his power, his authority, his forgiveness. Now, in that day, it was not time for fasting. It was time for feasting. Well, that begs the question, right? What about, what about today? That We get it that when Jesus was alive, walking and talking through the streets of Palestine with his disciples, that that was a time for, for joy and celebration. What, what about what about today? What about right now? Is, is right now Is today a day for fasting or for feasting? And I would suggest to you, as you think about this text, that the answer is both. That today is a day both for fasting and for feasting. That we live in what's called the already-not-yet. That Jesus Christ has already came and he's established his kingdom, but he has not yet established it fully. And that in Christ today we have joy, but we're also still surrounded by sin and so we have much sorrow. And there's a day coming when Christ will return and we will see him face to face and we'll have joy eternal and joy indestructible so i would suggest to you that for us today because of christ and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and soon to return that as we live between these two advents of christ's incarnation and christ's second coming it's a time for celebration but it's also a time for mourning and fasting A time, again, for for celebration because that's why Jesus came into this world. Remember Luke 2.10, the angels announced, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And in John 17:13 Jesus prays that his joy would be fulfilled in us his disciples. So as Christians this morning, and I hope, I pray, I trust that each of us here this morning are trusting by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, that knowing that Christ is mine and I am his, that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, that he took all of my sin and gave me his righteousness, that I am married to Christ forever and that one day the Lord will return and I shall see him and be like him. I hope, I trust, I pray that that truth today right now and every day gives you joy inexhaustible. Joy, not sorrow, should be the dominant characteristic of us who believe. Amen? No doubt the Christian life includes sorrow. There's no denying that. But we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.8 that we grieve, we sorrow as those, not as those who have no hope, we also know that the Christian life is not trouble-free. The Christian life brings trials, it brings troubles. Jesus said, if the world hated me, they'll hate you more. But in this world, you will have tribulation, which in the Greek is ellipsis, which means to press, to squeeze, like a wine press, or if you can picture how uh, the ox threshing the, the wheat, stomping on it. It's pretty rough, isn't it? So this world, as Christians, will have sorrow, will have hardship, will have sacrifices, and yet we are told in Romans five three, rejoice in your suffering. We are also told in James 1.2 to count it all joy when you encounter trials. So I say again that joy, not sorrow, should be the dominant theme of the Christian life. Remember that the fruit of the Spirit, among other things, is joy. It's joy. So in Jesus, there is a joy that trumps all joys, surpasses all gladness, and redefines happiness itself. Let me say it this way the Christian life is a feast, not a funeral. Not a funeral. But it is a time for fasting, but again, not a fasting uh, like that of the Pharisees. They did it for spectacle. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 and following, uh, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces in order that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, it's scary what Jesus says here, they have received their reward. But when you fast, speaking to his disciples, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, be joyful that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by the Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So we fast, but not like the Pharisees who did it for show or because they thought somehow it was more impressive to God. Well, God says one day, or one day, I'm going to do it two days out of the week. No, we fast, not to be seen by others, but to be seen by our Father who loves us and who we love. We also don't fast out of duty. Notice Jesus says, when you fast. There, there's, As far as I can find, and I encourage you guys to check this, be and study the scriptures, I can't find a single place in the New Testament where Christians are commanded to fast. But I think we are expected to fast, because again, Jesus says, when you fast. If you read through Acts you find multiple examples of the early church fasting. The early church in Acts 13, fast, and then they set aside Paul and Barnabas. And later in Acts 14, it says, whenever they appointed elders, they would fast and pray. So there's no command. No, you will do this once a year or once a week. Simply, Jesus says, when you fast, here's how you should do it. So you see, I think today is a day for feasting and fasting. In the words of Paul, we are sorrowful yet always what? Rejoicing. It's that both end because of the work of Christ and the work that he will accomplish in the future. Let's push a little bit farther into the text Remember with verses 33 and 34 that, that Jesus' response not only explains why his disciples don't fast, it also explains the significance of his presence. So we just sang that song about uh, knowing his presence. What, what's the significance of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? And essentially, Jesus is saying, as the bridegroom, I've come to usher in a new era. I'm just going to read through 36 through 39 again and, and note with me how many times the words new and old are used. He says in verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh or new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires the new. For he says, the old is good. See the contrast? See the setup? You see the collision? Old versus new, right? Old versus new. In verses 36 to 39, Jesus gives three parables. You can... Catch them, because each one starts by saying, no one, right? Verse 36, no one tears a piece. Verse 37, no one puts new wine. Verse 39, no one after drinking. So there's three parables. And all three of those parables are designed to say, you can't mix the old with the new. It's out with the old and in with the new. So let's, let's walk through that a little bit. Verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. So contemporary language. When you buy a pair of new jeans, you don't rip a hole in them or tear a piece out of them and put them in your old comfy jeans, right? That's what he's saying. You don't do that. For obvious reasons. You ruin both pair, right? You ruin them. The point Jesus is making is that Jesus came to bring spiritual wholeness, not to patch us up. That there's no place for patchwork religion. Again, that Jesus came to make us whole, to transform us, to give us new hearts, to make us new, not to patch us up. Jesus is saying that it's no good trying to patch up your old life by adding a few new pieces of religious activity. If you do that, your life will get torn between the old and the new. The Christian life is not about simply adding a few good things to your life. Imagine with me uh, a young man. Uh, falls upon a very hard time in his life, a very, very difficult time that, that flips us, that tribulation that we spoke of, and he decides to reform, as often happens, right? We go through the ringer, we go through a hard situation, we, and we decide things need to change. I need to change, I need to shape up. And, and this young man resolves that he will no longer smoke, he will no longer drink, he will no longer swear, He'll no longer watch R-rated movies. He decides he's going to start going to church on Sundays. He's going to be generous with his money. And we would all agree that that would for sure be uh, uh, an improvement. He's patched up some holes in his life, yes? But that does not mean that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Patchwork religion. Sometimes we get convicted and think, well, I'm going to patch up my life and go to church more, or I'm going to pray more, or read the Bible more. I was reading one chapter a day, now I'm going to read ten. But what's the motivation? We always got to think about the hearts. Is the motivation based on grateful joy out of what God has done for you in Christ or is it based out of fear, pride, insecurity? Grateful joy says, I love God. I want to know him more. I want to worship him as much as I can. I want to read his word as much as I can. I want to pray to him as much as I can because I'm so amazed by the fact that he loves me. Why does he love me? I don't get it, but I praise him for it. So I want to know him more and more and more. Insecurity or pride or fear goes like this. It says, (coughs) you're not really doing your devotions right unless you get up at 5 in the morning and read and pray the Bible for an hour. And you better not have any coffee or food before that either. Right? Right? You're going to get up early, you're going to beat your body, you're going to make it your slave, and you're going to do your devotions for anything else in the morning for at least an hour, or you're not really a Christian. You're not taking it very seriously. And you know what? You're going to tithe 10% or 15% or 20%, and if you don't do that, if you're not at church X amount of days, man, you need to question your salvation. That's the law. That's fear, that's insecurity, that's pride. That's patchwork religion. Jesus did not come merely to patch us up, so we will add a few good things to our old life. Jesus came to utterly transform us from the inside out. That's his point in the next illustration of the wineskins, right? Verse 37. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst. The skins, it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into new or fresh wineskins. Verse 38 is, is critical there. So this one maybe not as obvious as the other one, right? We said you don't buy a new pair of jeans and rip a hole in them and put them on your old comfy jeans. Here, Jesus switches analogies to the wineskin. A wineskin was made from sheepskin or goatskin. Uh, that's how they would, they would fold it and they would, they would make it that way. Actually, the neck of the, the sheep or the goat would be where they drink out of <coughs> When the wineskin is new, you may or may not know that the, when the wineskin is new, freshly made, they're very elastic. They stretch easily. When they are old, they become very brittle and stiff and burst under pressure. So Jesus' point is you don't take new wine, which ferments, right, and through gas builds pressure and would burst, right? You don't put new wine into old, brittle wineskins. Why? Because, again, fermentation, the wine builds gas and pressure, and two things happen. The old wineskin it bursts is gone, and the new wine is gone. It's a double whammy, right? It's a double loss. So Jesus says, the key is verse 38, new wine must be put into fresh wineskins because a new wineskin is elastic, it's stretchy, it can accommodate the growth. So again, Jesus is saying, out with the old, in with the new. And don't you dare mix the two together. And if you mix the two together, it will burst. Right? And yet, we do it all the time. We think if we can just add some new wine to our old wineskins, everything will be better. And I have a few few illustrations. I tried to think through some possible scenarios or ways that this, this happens. So here's my first illustration. Maybe, maybe a couple gets engaged, and they read an article like the one that just last week was in the uh, the WSJ, Wall Street Journal. And it has this heading, Too risky to wed in your 20s, not if you avoid cohabiting first. So that's the heading. So they just got engaged, so that catches their attention, right? Too risky to wed in your 20s, not if you avoid cohabiting first. And uh, this article goes on to say from a study of more than 50,000 women, that's impressive, 50,000, that women who married directly, which is to say they never cohabitated before marriage, that they had the lowest divorce rates. The same article goes on to state that Americans who live together, or cohabitated before marriage, are less likely to be happily married and much more likely to land themselves in divorce court. Shocking, right? It's like God knew something in Genesis 1 when he, or 2 when he said the two shall become one flesh and there shouldn't be sex outside of marriage, right? I mean, it's shocking, right? So let's say that this young, engaged couple, they've read that article, and so they decide that they're going to add that new wine to their old wineskin. The new wine is, well, we're not going to cohabitate. We're going to live separately until we get married. That way, we'll be less likely to be divorced in the future. I tell you that will burst, because that's adding new wine to old wineskin. If all they do is change outwardly like that, and there's no inward transformation that's new wine into old wine, and it bursts. Let's say another person reads an article about how to overcome anxiety, and they add the, the new wine of, I need to exercise more, and I need to cut out caffeine, things like that. Or someone struggles with anger, and they add the, the new wine of counting to ten first. But that's it. That's all they do. I tell you, it will burst. Parents become convinced that their children will be more well-behaved if they just go to church, so they add the new wine of church attendance into their old wineskins. You see what I'm trying to say? That you can add all sorts of new things to your old life. Charity work, being a better neighbor, doing voluntary work, even joining a church, right? You, you can do these, these things. And time and time again, people think if they add these new wines to their old wineskins of an otherwise unchanged life, their empty lives will now be fulfilled. Think New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> Anyone ever make those? And are you keeping up with them? It's February, almost March, right? How many of you have given up on them already? So often that's new wine into old wineskins. I want to lose weight, but I want to keep eating the way I'm eating. It doesn't work that way. That'd be wonderful if it did. (laughs) Jesus says it will burst. Think of someone who buys their first car. Maybe even think of your own first car. My own first car was a Chevy Cavalier. That thing was pretty beat up. Uh, but think of your own, your own first new car, maybe it was like mine. You, you kind of knock out the dents, you fill in the rust holes, you spray the car in new color, maybe you cover the seats with some nice new seat covers, uh, you install a new sound system, right, because who cares about that noise in the engine, as long as we can drown that out by turning up the radio, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. But when all is said and done, you've made all those changes, but what do you still have? Man, you still got an old beater, right? That's what it's like with you and I. That—that's that, the point of Jesus' illustration. That look—you can—you can subtract from your life all the all the obvious sins, and then you can simultaneously add to your life all the good things. But if there's no heartward transformation through the Lord Jesus Christ, it will burst. Here is a person who has an old apple tree in his backyard and he's labored and worked and uh, his whole garden and backyard is is immaculate and it's beautiful except for that old apple tree. No matter what he does, that thing will not produce more apples. So he thinks about it, he ponders about it and he gets this bright idea. He goes to the local produce store and buys a whole bunch of the, the freshest, most delicious looking apples he can find. And then he takes those apples, and he takes some string, and he ties those apples to his old apple tree. And he goes, and he sits on his porch, and maybe he has a rocking chair or something like that, and he has a fresh glass of iced tea in his hand. <clears throat> I was going to say wine, but it's a Baptist church. I can't get away with that one. So he has iced tea, sweetened or unsweetened, I don't know. He's rocking in his chair, and he looks out at that tree, and it's heavy with the new apples, bending under the weight, and he feels satisfied. But has the tree changed? It is not. It will burst. It will break. You see, it is not the dead things that you take away from your life or the good things you add to your life you need to become, like verse 38 says, a new or fresh wineskin. You need to be transformed. You must be born again. You must have a new spirit. You must be made a new creation. You must have your heart of stone removed and a new heart given to it. You see? The fundamental problem in our world today, in our homes, in our schools, in in Orangeville community, and in our churches is not the lack of money, it is not the lack of education, it is not who's sitting in the White House. The fundamental problem is right here. It's your hearts, our old wineskins. If you wish to make real change, then you need to be changed at the core. And praise God, Jesus is in the business of giving you new hearts. It is probably true that there are more broken homes and families, more divorce, more drug addicts, more hate, more anger, more rage, than ever before in our history. It's all awful. It's all heartbreaking. Yet all of those things are symptoms They're not the disease. The real problem is, as the scriptures teach, that we are sick with sin. We have old wineskins. We have sin that leads to death. And so there's death everywhere. The threat of war in Ukraine, right? Death. Divorce. Death. Hate and anger. Violence. Racism. Abortion. Gender confusion. Broken families. Suicide. Everywhere we look is death, death, death. Old wineskins. Which brings us right back to where we were last week that namely, people are lost. We are sinners, but we don't know we're sinners. We're like the person in, in verse 39. You've got to love the person in verse 39. There's always someone who says something like this No one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new, for he says, What? The old is good. I don't want change. Don't talk to me about change. I'm happy with the old. Don't you dare talk to me about that new stuff. The old is good. I'm good with life the way it is. I'm content with life the way it is. I'm I'm happy with the way things are. The old is good. That is one of the hardest people to evangelize. Because they're so set in their way, so content in their sin. that's also, that is a terrifying place to be. To be so hardened by sin that you think the old is good. And you would say, out with the new, satisfied with with life in that way. What a tragedy. I hope there's no one like that here this morning. Jesus came to give us spiritual fullness. He came to transform us. He came to give us a new heart, a new nature, a new birth, a new beginning, a new wineskin, a new relationship with him where he is the groom and we delight in him. That is his message of repentance. His message of repentance is don't mix the old with the new. Don't fall into this patchwork religion where you try and add some new into your old. No, you need to be wholly made over. Don't don't try and patch your life up by saying, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to drink again, I'm never going to smoke again, I'm never going to watch R-rated movies, I'm never going to use a credit card again, I'm never going to dye my hair or, or whatever thing it is, Right? Instead, repent and receive the life-giving, joyful wine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Leave everything like Levi and follow him. Off with the old, in with the new. Off with man-made rules and customs. Off with patchwork religion. Off with outward moral reform without inward renewal. Off with trying to impress God and earn his favor. Out with the old, in with the new. So where is this morning the Spirit convicting you? Where is the Spirit poking at your heart this morning? Where is the Word of God challenging you this morning? Are you rejoicing this morning in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you filled with His joy? Are you filled with His gladness? The joy of sin forgiven? The joy of Jesus as your Savior? Are you this morning filled with His joy? Are you this morning seeing that your heart, your nature is far worse than you imagined? And have you seen this morning that Christianity is not simply taking away bad and adding in some good? It's, it's not rules and regulations. Does your religion consist of that? Rules and regulations? Is that how you think of Christianity? It's a list of do's and don'ts? You know what Jesus says about your do's and don'ts? He says, don't. And repent and trust in him and follow him. Don't, or the whole fabric of your life will burst. Jesus didn't come, so you would miserably follow a bunch of do's and don'ts. Amen? He came so you would have a relationship with him. And change you inside out, day by day, moment by moment, as you cry out to him in repentance and faith. Don't be like the person in verse 39 who says, the old is good. Please don't be satisfied with the old wine. Don't refuse to taste what Jesus has to offer. Don't try to earn God's approval. Don't miss the new and better wine of Jesus' grace and love and joy. I hope we can all say this morning, out with the old and in with the new. All God's people say, amen. I'm going to lead us in prayer and invite the praise team to, to come up as I do so. Heavenly Father, we just come before your throne confessing how easy it is to slip into this kind of patchwork religion of moral outward reform without inward renewal and change. How easy it is just to kind of have a list, a checkbox of Christianity and say, well, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And yet, to not be drawn closer to you, not to be made more like you. How easy it is to keep that list of do's and don'ts and not be trusting and conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, forbid it that myself or anyone here this morning would fall into that old way, that old uh, Judaism, that old Phariseeism, that old legalism that thinks that we can impress you or or do all these things by keeping this list of do's and don'ts father forbid that that's in our hearts remind us teach us this morning that it will burst it will tear us apart give us that new wine that new transformation make us new wineskins as david cried we cry create in me a clean heart O god cleanse me renew me transform me Father, make that the cry of each one of our hearts this morning. And in this new relationship with you and your spirit, help us to go forth from here, sorrowful yet rejoicing, sorrowful over the sin that is around us, but joyful in a Savior who will make all things new. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Please do this in our
0: hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.